0: He lived in a small town with only one traffic light. Cletus had saved up his money and he bought a moped. One day Cletus was at the light waiting for it to turn green when the shiny new Corvette convertible pulled up next to him. Cletus had never seen anything like this in his life and the Corvette had its top down, so Cletus leans over the side of the car and starts checking out the interior. This annoys the driver of the vet, so when the light turned green, he steps on the gas laying down rubber as he leaves the intersection and he gets up to 60 miles an hour when suddenly, Cletus flies by him on his moped. <laughs> the driver of the vent says to himself, this clown wants to race. Shifting into fourth gear, he steps on the gas again. He leaves Cletus in the dust as he gets up to 100 miles an hour. Then out of nowhere, he sees Cletus coming up fast in his rearview mirror. He can't believe it as Cletus flies by him again on his moped. The driver of the vet shifts into sixth gear and floors it, and he passes Cletus and gets up to 150 miles an hour. Once again, Cletus passes him like he's standing still. Shocked, the driver of the vet pulls over to the side of the road. He hears gra- flying gravel flying and brakes squalling as Cletus pulls up next to him. The driver of the vet congratulates Cletus on winning the race and asks him what kind of engine he has in the moped. Puzzled, Cletus Cletus replies, Race, I'm just trying to get my suspenders off your side view mirror. (laughs) Mm mm Well, you know where we are today we're in the we're in the time of the um, the one of the feast feast of tabernacles not feast not feast of, tabern- feast of, of uh, trumpets a lot of people said this would be a perfect time for Jesus to come and so today I want to just you know and there are some people that will talk about you know Jesus coming and then there will always be those people that will speak up and say, well, we do not know the day or the hour when Jesus is coming. And so I want to just talk about that a little bit today. And let's, let's go to Matthew 24, where we've been before. We did the first two verses. But I want you to do Matthew 24, verse 36, verse 4 through 42. Listen to what he says. He said, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what the hour your Lord is coming. Let's pray. Well, Father, I pray that we'll get into some stuff today that will help to clear up some things. But I pray, Father, today that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight, for you're our strength and you're our redemption, you're everything to us, Lord, and folks have come today to hoping to hear that the word of God that's living and alive would be spoken, and that, Lord, that in that, that they will find something that they're looking for, and I pray, Father, that you would do this, and I ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. So verse 36 says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. That's what Jesus says. And so is that it? So we just don't know, and so we just can't know? Is that what, what he's trying to tell us? In Matthew 16, I want you to look at something, though. Look at Matthew 16, and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Listen to what he says. Starting with verse 1, 1 through 3. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked him, Would he show them a sign from heaven? And he answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Then he says this, Hypocrites, You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. One of the things the Bible teaches us, that the reason the Jews did not come to Jesus or whatever, or that, that the fact that, that God is, when Paul writes over to them that his concern for them is that they come to save, that they would be saved, that for they have, a, they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge, because they went about to establish their own righteousness, they went about to establish their own righteousness, but not the righteousness from God. And I, I want to distinguish that. So there are people that are, you know, people say, "Well, they're good people." When the Bible says in, in Romans three, there's none good, there's none that seeketh after God. That's what it says. We're destitute, guys. Paul even says this over in Romans, 8, or Romans seven, excuse me, when he says, "Within me, within my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing." I know when we look at sometimes we see some of the things that people say and we say simply how in the world could anybody do some of the things they do, hurt people like they do, whatever. I want to tell you simply that within me, within my heart, I can, I'm can i just as capable of doing those things as anybody else. But God has to do a work in us. It's, it's in him our righteousness come. And so I want you to notice in, in Romans 10, 10, where Paul says he he distinguishes between righteousness and the righteousness of God. That's the difference. The righteousness of God only can come through Jesus. Only he can give you that. And so Jesus, in in talking to them, he simply says, and and he says so that they and they 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 did not look to the visitation is what the Bible says. Uses the word visitation. In other words, when Jesus came, they didn't see it. They didn't see it. So Jesus here, talking to the Pharisees, he says to them, you can discern the, the, the sky, the weather, and all that. You know when it's going to rain, when it's going to do all this other kind of stuff by looking at the clouds or, or the moon or whatever else it is, you know, full moons and things like that. You can discern the weather, but then he goes on and he says simply that you cannot discern, but you, you, you cannot discern the signs. So what's he saying to us? He's saying to us that while we don't know the day or the hour, that we can know the season that the Lord is coming. Amen? So if a woman is pregnant, and Jesus says this, it's the beginning of sorrows, as he talks about the the tribulation that will come, the beginning of sorrows, if a woman is praying, that's what it, it can be interpreted in the Hebrew language as simply being birth pain. He's saying simply that, you know, as a woman becomes more and more, her, her, her abdomen begins to get larger and larger. Well, we, we, what can we say? We can look at it and we can say, hey, she's going to have a baby and it's going to be soon. We may not know the day or the hour, but here's the thing. We can know that it's going to happen pretty quick. So, Jesus in the Olivet discourse is answering the question the disciples posed to him. Remember, after he told them in verse 2, not one stone will be overturned. And that was it. 70 AD, they took the temple apart. They took stone by stone because the gold had melted in the stones. They took it apart to do that. Then, in verses 36 through 42, Jesus is telling us to be alert, to be watching. and and this is almost the story of Gideon Gideon you know remember the story of Gideon how Gideon had 33,000 men and he came up against an army of 135,000 33 men and what did God say to him he said to him you got too many you got too many and so what did he do? He reduced it down, and he said, "He said, okay, anybody that wants to go home can go home. And guess what happened? 23,000 of them went home. Well, think about that. 23,000 of them went home. That would be discouraging, wouldn't it? Now, you know, Jesus, when the Bible says that Jesus fed 5,000, he fed 5,000, but the truth of the matter is that was only the men. There probably was 15,000 there. And the Bible says that, uh, I guarantee you, Peter and, and, and John and those guys were looking at this and said, man, look what a crowd we got. Boy, we're cooking with grease now. Man, it's, it's, it's great. And, and you know, that's why people ask, for Two questions I get all the time. Well, how's your church doing? And they'll say, well, you know, uh, I'll tell them. i said say, well, we're doing okay. And I know what the next question is going to be. How many people you got going there? Because, like, if you get a crowd together, you know, boy, you're really doing what the Lord wants you to do. Let me tell you something: the devil can get a crowd together anytime he wants to. Amen. And and so, there's probably probably fifteen to sixteen to eighteen thousand people there, and they think, man, we're we're really rolling down. And yet, Jesus preaches a message. The word that separates us from everybody else. The word, and when he preaches this message, what does he say? He, he he says, "Except you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven." And I guarantee you, Peter and James and John are sitting there saying, "Oh no, not that! No, 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 no!" You know, and and and, and so when he does, what's he do? He, and the Bible says that. They, the, the many, it says that many, and this is a hard saying, and they said, Who can understand it? And then it says, And many went back and followed him no more. They went back and followed him no more. Oh, well, when they went out and followed him no more, now Jesus does what? And we see the humanity in Jesus because Jesus now looks at the disciples and he says to them, What does he say? We think it was so easy for Jesus sometimes. No, it wasn't. He said, will you also leave me? What does Peter say? Peter says, Lord, where can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Only you have those words. In other words, what is Peter saying? Peter saying, Lord, we don't understand. And I'll, I'll do this in a translation, not in Greek or Hebrew, but I'll do this in hillbilly. Because, uh, because what Peter is saying is, Lord, we don't understand a cotton-picking thing about this drinking your blood or eating your flesh. But all we know is, when you speak, there's something deep inside of us that just flourishes up. And when we hear your word, it's just alive inside of us. That's what he was saying. So Gideon has got, now he's down to 10,000 and God looks at him and says, that's still too many. That's still too many. And so he says, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take them down to the creek. And he said, all those that get on all four, all four of the hands and their knees and stick their head right down in the water and and, and drink it that way, said, like a dog, if they do that, then that's the people you don't want. But those guys that get down there on one knee and they take their hand and they reach it up and they're looking around and and they drink of the water that way, that's the ones you want. And so as a result of that, 9,700 of them got down on all four, and he got rid of them. Why? Here's my question to you this morning. Why is it that he only could use 300? Because of that 300, there were only 300 that were watching. There were only 300 that were alert. Alert to the things of God. And so... And, and so, 300. We're alert. We're watching. We're looking. And the problem that we face in this culture is: is we are not alert to the Lord's coming. We live in a time when Jesus told us the signs of his coming. Six out of them, six out of those first signs he gives us in Matthew 24, wars, rumors of wars, nations against nations, famines, pestilence, earthquakes. But the greatest sign that Jesus is coming is right here, right now, and that is the first thing he mentions in verse 4. He said, take heed that no one deceive you. All you got to do is go home today and turn on your boob tube and look at all these political ads. I'm telling you they're trying to deceive you. And because of the technological advances that we've been made, that deception is worldwide, it comes into your home. And so Jesus says in Mark thirteen, five, six, he says, answering them, begin to say, Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he and will deceive many. He says in Luke 21, 8, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near, therefore do not go after them. In other words, I am the Messiah. Many will come in my name claiming to be the Messiah, that I am the Christ. And the first four verses of Matthew 24 go hand in hand with Revelation 6, the seal judgment. And the first seal judgment that is open is a a rider on a white horse. And it says this in Revelation 6 1 and 2. It says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened up one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice of thunder, Come and see. And look, and behold, a white horse. And he who sits on it had a bow and a crown, and was given to him. And he went out conquering to conquer. Now, a lot of people think that's Jesus. That's not Jesus, that's the Antichrist. Now, I want you to notice he has a bow, he has has a bow, but he doesn't have any arrows. Why does he not have any arrows? Because of deception. Because he, the hand of Christ, when he comes, what is he's going to say to you? He's going to say to you, peace, peace. But the Bible says, beware for sudden destruction cometh. Beware. And, this, and, and listen, the world is in turmoil. And the world is right now ripe. And the world is looking for somebody to come in and say, peace, peace. And settle everything down. It's prime for the Antichrist. And so the Bible also says in Thessalonians 5:3, it says, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. See, Jesus continually uses, it. he talks about sorrow, but it can be interpreted birth pains, and he continually uses it. It is not the signs themselves, It's not the wars, the rumors, of wars, pestilence, all those. It is the, it is the persistence of those signs. It's the prevalency of those signs. It's, 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 it's how tough those signs get greater and greater and greater. That's what we're looking at. All you got to do if you want to study earthquakes, just study earthquakes and look on the rector scale and see how many earthquakes are beyond 5 point something now. Per day. Per day. And so this false Christ will arise as a champion who will solve all the world's problems and he'll claim to be the Savior or the Messiah. But Jesus warns us not to follow for his claims. Jesus has told us in Matthew 24, 5, there are going to be many who claim to be the Messiah. For instance, there was in Acts 5, 36. It, uh, it tells us that for some time ago Thordeus rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him and he was slain and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. He said he was the Messiah. Then there was a guy by, by the name the Egyptian. The Egyptian in Acts 21, 38, it says, Are you not the Egyptian for some time stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins out of the wilderness? So here again, here's another one claiming to be the Messiah. And in the, and so, and as and as a result of that, then there was a guy by the name of Barkobedah appeared in Judah who said he was the Messiah. And Rome tried to extinguish, this This is a big deal, because Rome tried to extinguish this revolt in 135 B.C., but not before 580,000 men were killed. He said he was the Messiah. Then in the 1800s, you know, then there are those people that are date setters. And I think this has been one of the most... Devastating things to the Christian faith, many that anybody could possibly say. These people that say Jesus is coming in a certain day. There was a guy by the name of, of uh William Miller. And he predicted that Jesus would come on March 21st, 1843. Now I just read to you that, but of that day and that hour, no man knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. We can know the season, we just can't know the exact date. But uh, but, uh, so this guy by the name of William Miller, he predicted this. And news spread and press went wild over this. So March 21st came. And when March 21st came, businesses closed. Uh, people stayed home. And, and you know how crazy we get? People who followed Miller, and they were called Millerites... And the day came, and they wore long robes on that 21st. And they went to a mountain. Now, this is really true. It's historical. They went to a mountain, and when they got to the top of the mountain, they didn't feel like they are high enough, so they all climbed trees. I'm serious. They all climbed trees, so they'd be a little closer. So when the rapture took place, they didn't have to go as far. So help me. This is the truth. I'm not making this stuff up. I wish I was, but I'm not. But the day came and the Lord didn't come, and thus the Millerites trudged home, accompanied by the jeers of all the people. Yeah, we tried to try to tell us that Jesus was coming at this time. Miller went back to the drawing board and said he had made a mistake of one year. So in 365, 365 days later, the Millerites were back up in the trees once again. They were, they were disappointed. Later, Miller repented, but the damage was done, and many because of this left the faith as a result. To that in 1914, the Jehovah Witnesses said Jesus was coming. Then there was Herbert W. Armstrong. I remember Herbert W. Armstrong. Do y'all remember Herbert W. World, World uh, Wide Church of God, you know, 1960? He predicted that Jesus was coming in the 1960s. The Seventh day Adventists, October 1960, Jesus would come. And then there was a guy by the name of Harold Camping. September 1994, then May 21st, 2011. He predicted it. He missed it one time, so he went back and predicted it another time. But they have—if they just read the Bible, they would have known that Matthew 24:36 it says simply what. But of that day and that hour, no one knows—not even the angels in heaven—but my Father only in Mark 30, 13, 32 if you'll notice what that says but of the day and the hour no one knows not even the angels of heaven nor the son but only the father Well, wait a minute what does Jesus not know? I thought he was God. He is God, and he knows now. But let me tell you something. He he does know, but when he walked on this earth in his humanity, Jesus has left his outward attributes of his deity in heaven. Philippians 2, 7 says, But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. He went completely reliant. The only thing, he said, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do, or the Holy Spirit tells me to do it. And so while he was on this earth, he didn't know, but he knows now. And what Jesus is doing, he's sitting in heaven right now at the right hand of God, and all he's waiting for right now is the Father to look over him and say to him, go get your bride. That's all he's waiting on. So why is it that so many seem to think that they know the date that Jesus will come back? Jesus warned us 11 times strenuously against being deceived. Then what is the great deception? Matthew 24, verse 37 and 39, it says, But of the days of Noah were also the coming of the Son of Man be, for as in the days of before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day the Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also may the coming of the Son of Man. They did not know until the Bible says that God shut the door. It's going to be the same way when Jesus comes. Today is The last Gentile is going to walk the aisle one of these days. And the Gentiles are going to be fulfilled. And God's going to say, go get your bride. And he's going to come. And there are going to be many that will be left behind. There will be many that will be left behind. You know, so why is it that Many think that they, they then, then what is the great deception? They were getting on with life. I, I, I had someone not long ago that I, I ran into and they hollered at me, asked me to come over. And I didn't, I went over, And I said, and I, I told them, I said, they haven't been in church. And I said, i miss you in church. And here's what his answer. His answer was, Well, you know how it is. Life gets in the way. Boy, it sure does. And Satan gets in the way. And Satan will throw things at you that you never thought. By the time you and your family get ready to go to church, your your cousin shows up with his new boat. Let's go to the lake. You're getting ready to read the Bible and all of a sudden the telephone rings. You know, on and on and on. We could talk about interruption after interruptions, getting on with life, and, and didn't have the time. They didn't have the time because it, it, he says they're going to be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And some people have said that could be interpreted in, uh, about marriage, marriage giving in marriage is it can be interpreted as meaning not getting married. And that is that is the thing today that we're seeing. We're seeing less and less people getting married, and they want to just move into one another. May I say to you Jesus doesn't want you to do that? That's fornication. That's what the Bible calls it. You can call it hooking up, you can call it whatever you want to the Bible says that's fornication you know And, and, and so then you know are, are you, you know I've even heard older people well we'll get together and we'll move into one another and because that way we won't have to give up our social security we want to do this whatever listen I don't care you're not trusting God. Did not God tell you in Philippians that he would supply your every need? That's what you got to do. Get married and don't do this other thing. Because he he cannot bless something that, that you're cursing. They're getting on with life. And they didn't have time for spiritual things. And notice, they did not know. Listen to this. They did not know until God shut the door. Listen, America... Today is not ready, and the same thing that happened in Noah's day is going to happen all over the world. I've always believed that verses 40 and 42 is the rapture. Some people have tried to have have always tried to interpret it as being, no, this just means something after the second coming, but I don't believe it's the rapture. Until somebody shows me something totally different, then okay. But it says that two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Uh, two women will be grinding in a meal and be taken, and the other left. And watch, therefore, you do not know what the hour of your Lord is coming. There are going to be men that their wife has asked them over and over again to come to Jesus, and they won't do it. I, I don't need to, water. And the one night they're going to roll over in the bed and they're going to reach for their wife, and guess what? She's going to be gone. There are going to be couples that wouldn't do what the Lord wanted them to do. And going to run down the hall looking for their kids, and their kids are gone. There are going to be teachers that were atheistic and writing on the board. They're going to turn around, and their whole classroom is going to be gone. People be jerked out of cars. Pilots that are saved be gone out of airplanes. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be catastrophic. And the news will try... Why, why are we seeing all these UFOs now and all these flying saucers and all this stuff? Because Satan's getting ready. He knows his time is short. And what's he going to say? He's going to simply say that the, the mothership came down and did what? Took them all. I want to hear what the... You know, what, I want to, when this happens and they're left behind, I want to hear what... The, What's Tom Cruise? He's a what now? I want to hear what the Scientologists got to say. When they get left, because they don't trust in Jesus, I wonder what they're going to say. Because they've always talked about the mothership coming to get them. Our job then is to do what? To be ready. Why do we not know the day or the hour? Because the Lord wants us to be about His kingdom business right now. And the greatest criticism I hear of, of Christians today that believe in the pre trib, uh, in the rapture of the church is they just want to sit down. Don't let them say that about you. Don't you sit down. We need to be busy. We need to be about our Father's business. You know, why do we not know that they are? Because He wants us to be about the kingdom business. And if the Lord told us at an exact date, we'd sit down. Now, when we get to the second coming, we can set our watch by the second coming because the book of Revelation tells you exactly what's going to happen. You know? But Jesus has warned us to be ready he says in Matthew 24, uh, Matthew 24, verse 42 through uh, 44, he says, watch therefore, do you not know what hour the Lord is coming? You do not know what the hour is coming. And in verse 43, if you can put it up there, 43 through 44. Uh, well, I got it right here. What am I doing? Uh, 40, 43, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have been watching. Not allowed his house to be broken into, verse 44. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. He's coming when you don't expect him. Mark 13, verse 32, uh, it says says this, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. We've dealt with that. Be ready, is what he says in Luke 12, verse 39 and, uh, uh, and verse 40. He said, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into, verse 40. And therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So we're totally in the dark. No, we're not. How can we know? We know the season. And we're close. I also believe that the Lord will begin to reveal to those who walk in the Spirit and are faithful, He's about to come. I think that's what he did in Matthew with with, with Anna and what he did with Simon. While nobody else, Jesus came into his own. His own received him not. They didn't recognize who Jesus But I, and Simon did. Why? Because they were daily in the temple, and, and 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 Simon was such a godly man. He when he held Jesus in his hand, he said simply, "Now let your servant depart, for my eyes have seen your salvation." So if you are walking with the Lord and you are walking in faith, I believe he's going. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to give you an inkling that he, man, get ready to come. He's about to come. Jesus had given us signs, but it's not the signs themselves, but the intensity and the prevalence of those signs like birth pains happening more and more and more and more, more intense. Our Father in Heaven is a God of order. And everything in God's universe is always on time. We get upset with Him sometimes when our prayers are not exactly like, you know, I, I told my grandson... The last week, he told me about praying about something. He said, Papa said, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And it just seemed like God doesn't hear me. I said, Lake, listen. God's not a bellhop. You don't hit the bell and here he comes. I said, he knows exactly when to answer a prayer. He knows exactly to bring all things, how everything affects this person, this person, all things how that affects this influence, why he brings all that together. That's why the Bible says when the Bible says, Well, you say, you know, the Bible says over in 1 John chapter 5, says this is a confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petition we've asked from him. John 16 verse 27 says, Hitherto you've asked nothing in my name, asking you shall Receive that your joy may be full. God, Jesus said, "Ask and she'll given to seek and She'll find. Knock will be open to you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeketh knocketh, and he that openeth, it, open it to him." And so you say, "Okay, the Lord was going to answer my prayer. Yes, He will. But listen, when He answers it, when your will lines up with His will, this is why, young people, this is exactly why you need to find an old person." To, to sit down and talk to all the time. I'm serious. They know where the potholes are. They know they know what... You, I mean, find, find you a mentor. Find you a mentor that you can really talk to. You know, that's what they do in China. That's why they take the older people in China and put them into kindergartens and nurseries. Because they know the wisdom that they have to give to You know, we'd rather put a drag queen in there with them. I don't know. Hello! Come quickly, Lord Jesus. So no, we're not in the dark. You know, our Father in heaven is a God of order and everything in God's universe is always on time. 1 Corinthians 14, 33, he says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace in all the churches. He's doing the very same thing with the second coming. He's doing the very same thing with the rapture of the church. He's got a date. He knows exactly when he's coming. He knows everything about it. And why do I believe this? Because the Lord's schedule is immaculate. And you can set your watch by it. And a great example of this is, Is the seven feasts found over in Leviticus twenty-three? In other words, those seven feasts. Those is that man. I did a bigger thing in that. I can't even see that. I feel like I'm in an eye exam. Is is, uh, is that the biggest you can go? Good night. I ran with. Okay. So, for the visually impaired, I will tell you what it says. Is it big up here? No, not. Okay. The seven feasts of Israel. I did, I did it. I mean, you couldn't. I mean, I had it off the side of the page. Uh, those seven feasts of Israel celebrated. The first four were celebrated. They're number two. In the spring, here's what they were doing. If you can't see that. In the spring feast, as March and April okay march and april then you go to then you go to the last the uh, and and so what were the what what, what were the, what were those in the in the in the spring they were the feast of passover What's Passover had to do? Remember that in Egypt, how they had to, they had to kill a lamb, put it over the door doorpost. That's what we're talking about. Passover had to do with the redemption of man, and the death angel came down. And when he came down, any any doorpost that did not have, and they did it, they did here, here, and here at the bottom, what like a cross. And so when they did it, any the death angel came down, if the blood was not over the doorpost, then the firstborn died. Firstborn. That was for redemption. Then the second feast was unleavened bread, and unleavened bread happened on the second day of Passover. Unleavened bread means uh, uh, leaven means as a symbol of sin, and they ate no unleavened the second day and the seventh day of this. They had no leaven in the house, no leaven, no sin is what they were saying, no sin. The third was first fruits of the barley harvest. In other words, this is the first harvest that came in the barley and, and, and the first fruits. And they were to take the barley, they would pick a crop and they would put it in stacks and they were to present the first part of it to the Lord. There was actually a ceremony and everything for this. And then the fourth one was Shavat or Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. And it was the fruits of the wheat harvest. The other was the barley harvest. This was the feed. They were still bringing first fruits, bringing it to the Lord. And in this, Israel was to bring two loaves of bread, which represented Jews and Gentiles, that would be in the Messiah, no division. Pentecost broke down the walls of the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, all these that I just mentioned were in the spring in the month of Nisan, which was in the March and April. The last three took place in the month of Tishadai, if I'm pronouncing it right. And, if, and the fourth one yeah, uh, is, is the fall feast, which really was the start of their first year. And it's September and October, which we're in right now. In fact, today is that day. Today, right now. But wouldn't it be great? The Lord just take us out of here. Right. so the last three took place in the month of, t- uh, the the in on September and October, which and and so here's here's the feast of the in the in the fall you had the feast of trumpets also called Rosh Hashanah, you had the feast of the Lord on the Day of Atonement and the feast of Tabernacles. Now. Uh, our September, October, were taking place now, as we speak. Trumpets are the Day of Atonement and Tabernacles was what it would be. Now, go to the, go to the my, the one. Yeah, okay. Here we go. I want you to see this. Why are these feasts so important? You say, Lee, that has to do with the Jews. It doesn't have to do with us Gentiles. Why are they so important? I want you to look at this. Because they're so important to us because God aligns everything here. God's not the author of confusion. You know, he does all things in his time. Look what it says. The Passover feast, when when did that happen? The very day that Jesus Christ was crucified. The day that Jesus was crucified was the Passover feast. The feast of unleavened bread, what was this? When Jesus was buried. Jesus was buried. The feast of first fruits was what? The resurrection. And the Bible tells us that you and I are the first fruits of, Je- of the, uh, Jesus was the first fruits of us that are going to be resurrected in that day. Then you finally get down to what? The feast of Pentecost, which happened 50 days after that. Pent I mean 50. 50 days, what? That's when the Holy Spirit came upon all believers. That's when this happened. Now I want you to notice some other things. And so, I want you to also notice this. That the Passover feast... Jesus was crucified on the feast of unleavened bread. Jesus was buried on that day. The feast of first fruits. Jesus rose from the dead. Feast of pentecost, with the Holy Spirit came. So Passover testifies of the shedding of blood. The feast of unleavened bread speaks of the Lord's Supper. Feast of the first fruits, the coming of the resurrection of Christ. The first fruits among those who sleep. Feast of Pentecost, 50 days were fulfilled. The Holy Spirit fell on those believers. So these last three feasts, and I want to start with the day of atonement which says, testifies, what is the day of atonement? It testifies to a day of judgment. Remember that you and I as, as Christians, what are we going to do? We all must stand in front, of, according to what Colossians says, we all must stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. We all must. And what is it, one of condemnation? No, it's not one of condemnation. It's one of a reward that God is going to bless us and, and those people have done and been faithful to him, he's going to roar. If those people, the Bible says this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if any man suffer loss, in other words, what he did, he did it for himself and did it for and to be shown off or whatever and God says it's going to be burned up, it's going to be tested by fire but it says "Yet he himself will be saved. And Then we know that what the great white throne judgment. We're not going to be standing there with people that are lost and God discerning whether or not you're saved or not because you know that now. He that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son hath not life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, All these things have I written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God in order that you may know you have eternal life. Now, the last three, which I start with the Day of Atonement, which testifies a certain judgment's come, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. What's, what's the Feast of Tabernacles speaking? It, 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 it speaks of eternal rest. What does that mean? Revelation 21 and 22. What is it talking? That there, and you know one of the things we showed you here a couple of uh, Sundays ago that there's no temple. There's temp There's been like seven temples, but there's no temple in in heaven. Why? Because God is our temple. He, he His tab. He, the Bible says that He will make His tabernacle with His people. That's who we'll be with. Now, I skipped the Feast of Trumpets, and I said that God does things in order, but we do not know the day, the hour, but we can know the season. And listen, you know, why can we know the season? Because listen to what Paul says over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 9. Listen to what he says. He's talking to you as a Christian. He said, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you all yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. We know that. We've been taught that. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. We know what the Antichrist is going to say. As labor pains upon there's a word labor pains again, upon pregnant women, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, listen to this you, 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 not the guy sat next to you, you are not in darkness. You're not in darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. God wants you to understand and know when he's getting ready to come. All right. Go on. Is that, yeah. oh, you shall, you all are, and he's talking to us. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. We're not of the night and the darkness. We're the light. Therefore, let us not sleep. As others do. But let us watch. Let us watch and be sober. Verse 8. Is there a verse 8? Yeah, there is. Oh, verse 7. Okay. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Because they're in the dark. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. Getting drunk on the world's things. But let us who are of the day, that's us, that are going belong to Jesus, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet of hope of salvation. For God, look, listen to this. Now, those, this, is, this is for those people that say, well, we're going to have to go through the tribulation. For God did not appoint us to Wrath. What's the greatest time of wrath in the history? It's going to be the tribulation. God didn't point us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation means He's going to get us out of here. Amen? But let me say again, this is God's timing. It's perfect. The Feast of Trumpets, which is called by the Hebrew name Rosh Hashanah, and it means head of the year, so this is the start of the year. It is a period in which everything begins new. It begins September the fifteenth, a Friday, and it ends September the seventeenth on a Sunday. Hello. So the feast of trumpets is Rosh Hashanah. It starts with the priest blowing the trumpet or the shofar a hundred times in call to repentance. And it won't be like these people. Uh, Christian and them brought their shofar out here. And everybody's trying to blow it and it sounded like a... <laughs> Sound like a ruptured moose or something out there trying to blow. When this when this one really blows, you're going to hear, he will blow it, the the, the priest, the high priest will blow the shofar nine different times. Our angels will blow it nine different times in which the priest will blow uh, the trumpet 11 times in each session. Nine different sessions, 11 times, 99 times, which means he'll blow it 99 times which leaves one blast at the last. One hundred, well, there's one hundred blasts, It's and the one hundredth blast is the loudest and the longest and the final trumpet of the Feast of Trumpets. And when he blows it, man, we're going to hear it. Now the world probably won't hear it. But we will. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, 53, listen to what it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the hundredth trump, uh, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and will be changed. For for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Man. First Thessalonians 4.16, what does that say? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Is what it says. But Rosh Hashanah is also called by different names. It's called by Yom Tura. It means the day of the blowing of the day of awakening blast. That's what it means. When the trumpet sounds during the rapture, it's not just a noise to get our attention. It's an awakening. It's an awakening blast for those who are in the graves. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through eight. Uh, 17 it, uh, says, it says for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ not the dead but the dead in Christ who's gone on your, your, your people that are already saved they went, they've gone on to heaven will rise first the body bodies in the grave the, their soul and their spirit will be raised together alright and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord Those in the grave will have farther to go than we are. they got six feet. Now, uh, so uh, when the trumpet sounds, for thousands of years, the Jews have called Rosh Hashanah the day of the awakening blast. That's exactly what will take place at the rapture. Roused from their sleep and raised incorruptible and immortal. Also called Yom Hadin. Which is another name for Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Judgment. The word "din" means judgment in Hebrew. The Jews believe Rosh Hashanah represents a period in which God weighs our rights and wrongs from the previous year, and that's that's Revelation 22: verse 12 and 13. And behold, I'm coming quickly, Jesus says, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Verse uh, and behold, I'm coming quick, and I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and the first and the last. It's also called Yom Hazakim, if I'm pronouncing this right. It's also another name for Rosh Hashanah, which means a day of remembrance. Jews pray that God will remember them during the coming year. So what the rapture of God? Remembering those who are His. Now we also call that Rosh Hashanah is also called the Feast of Trumpets. described the rapture of the church whenever that will be. But get this. The Jews have another name for Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets. You know what it's called? It's called the Day That No One Knows. The Day That No One Knows. This has everything to do with the lunar calendar and the new moon based on the cycles of the moon back before people understood the movements of the planets and the cycles and the cycles of the solar system. And now according to Jewish tradition, the new month would not officially begin until two witnesses reported to the priests that they had seen the silver of the new moon. Once this was confirmed by the witnesses and the priests, then the priests would blow the shofar. In other words, what am I saying? They were looking for it. So I believe here we are like the Jews in that they knew the approximate season when the feast would take place. They didn't know the exact day or the hour. It's a day no one knows is what they said. It seems clear to me that the rapture is the next major prophetic event in history in the world and there's a good case to think I'm not setting a date but here's a good case that the rapture of the church could be associated with the feast of trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah. Thus, we need to pay close attention. Now, you know it's also associated with the the wedding supper, and the, when when a young man would find a, a girl that he really loved, or whatever, or the parents worked it out, or whatever. Then the young man would come. The young man would come and he would bring the bride in and her father and his father would sit down and they would do something it would sign a contract which was called a katuba this is our katuba right here then he would take her he would tell her now listen what the listen what the groom would say to the bride he would say to her he says he would let her he would she would go back to live at her father's house he would say i go now to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. So she would go her way. He would go back. And we saw all kinds of houses when we were over in Israel with with a all of a sudden there was a, another room built onto them. Because he's going to take her back to his house, his father and mother's house, and they're going to live there. And so now a period of time goes by until one night, as he decides, she doesn't know when she's coming. When he's coming. Do you know what the bridesmaids were there? That's us. The bride, they were to keep everybody looking, keep the bride, the church looking for when? When the Lord was coming. When, when her groom was coming, they were to get ready and look for when he was coming. And that's why it talks about five having oil, five not having oil, this kind of thing. And so when he, when he finally exists, the father looks and he father comes in and he looks at the, the bridal chamber that he's making. And when it's it's satisfied to the father, that's what we're waiting on right now, when the everything in heaven, because Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. So he's he's taking care of heaven right now. And when it's ready and it's to the satisfaction of the Father, the Father's gonna look the Father looks over at the groom and says, Go get your bride. He comes down a path to get his bride and when he does, guess what he does? He blows a chauffeur. He announces and shouts to get her and he steals her away. And she doesn't know when he's coming to take him back. It's exactly what takes place. Now I'm telling you, if you're not ready, man, you need to be. The Bible says examine yourself whether you be in the faith or not. Get ready. Could he come today? Yeah, he could. You know, sometimes I I think about this all the time. I get up early in the morning. I usually get up earlier than cricket. And the first thing I do, I go in the bedroom to see that she's still in the bed. I'm serious. Because I'm scared to death she got raptured out and I didn't get to go. (laughs) I do. The Lord is coming. I know you hear it over and over again, but he's coming. And I want you to be ready. I don't want anybody in here to be lost. If you're not sure of your salvation, you need to come. need to come. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If we confess Christ as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And oh, listen to Jesus. The, you know, the Holy Spirit, you say, oh, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit's such, a, such a, a gentleman. He will never force His way on you. I believe you've got to ask Him to fill you. You want to be filled? You want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? Then you got to ask Him. Just like Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. They're waiting for you. Waiting for you. What's keeping you from coming? we're going to have a verse of invitation right now and so as